Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts to receive what is from you, to be true to the revealed and declared word of God, to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, to our own fallen nature, to be thankful to you that you have redeemed us and that your grace is sufficient for us. So Lord, help me now and help all of us now as we look into your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Temptation is not sin. And this is my title for a very topical issue. And I'm going to be talking about homosexuality this morning. Or its broader base called LGBT, which stands for lesbians, gays, bisexuals, and transgenders. Okay, go find out what all this means, but roughly homosexuals. And when we put these two terms together, the Christian or Christian church and LGBT side by side, you get, you get a very combustive mix and words spill out like bigots, homophobia, judgmental, combative, ungracious, mockery, hatred. You don't get it just in words, but you also get it in body language. And I'm sorry to say, among Christians especially. And I've been asking my elders and the Wednesday prayer meeting and a whole lot of people to pray for me as I prepared this over the last uh, couple of weeks or so. And my objective is to be true to the Word of God, the Bible, and what God teaches about human sexuality. And my objective is also that if you do have homosexual fantasies or homosexual thoughts or attractions or you are a practicing homosexual, you will walk out of here with proper teaching, yes, but also feeling loved, valued and precious in God's eyes. And that you will not hear the slightest hint of bigotry or judgment or disgust or mockery or, or hatred. And those are my two objectives. Well, estimates from some studies which are imprecise, sometimes even flawed, postulates that in a population <clears throat> between 1% to 20% are homosexuals or have homosexual attractions. So you can see how large it is, from 1% to 20%. So if that is the case, if that is true, then there may be in this congregation between 3 to maybe 20 or 30 with homosexual tendencies, right here. And for this 3 to maybe 50 even, 20% of 360 even, I want to apologize on behalf of unkind, ungracious and uninformed Christians for treating you in a less than Christ-like manner. Because whatever your sexuality, whatever your gender, your race, your beliefs, your religion even, you are precious in God's sight. You are made in God's image. You are loved by Jesus and therefore to be loved by His church. Let me now give you a roadmap. Where are we going today? Firstly, am I born gay? I want to tackle that. Secondly, what does the Bible say? 
And then I will end with some personal testimonies and what I think ought to be the way forward, and that is, what is the most excellent way? So firstly, are you born that way? Am I born gay? Now this is complicated, this is com controversial. And I've been ding-donging with uh, three doctors in PPH as I research into this. Typically, we say if you are born gay, that, that it is genetics. But I now understand that there is genetics and there is epigenetics. Epigenetics, epi means over and above. That means there are certain switches or things that even affects your genes and like changes the way your genes behave. And then there are hormones, a hormonal factor. So quite a lot, or at least three major factors. So let's look at some studies. The study of twins is an important approach to determine the extent of genetic factors responsible for any given condition. Because twins have similar nature and similar nurture. Well, if they live together. Similar nature because they share the same genes, similar nurture if they are brought up in the same family. Non-identical twins share only half their genes in common. This chart is taken from a book by John Tay, a Singaporean uh, who's got like two PhDs in whatever scientific stuff, uh, called Born Gay, examining the scientific evidence for homosexuality, uh, written in 2010. And in that book, he lists this series of uh, five studies. In the first one, the top one, 1991, you see that the concordance rate was 52% for identical twins. This means that if one twin, if one, one of the identical twin was homosexual, then 52% of the time, the other identical twin is also homosexual. Now, we've got to be very careful with research and statistics. The concordance rates in the first two studies were later criticized by researchers themselves as flawed and inflated because the survey participants were recruited from advertisements in homosexual magazines and publications. And this is what is called volunteer bias. In the last study that you see here, the last two lines, in the 2000 studies, the sample was taken from twins from a census data. So they did not select themselves. The homosexual twins did not select themselves. And the concordance rate drops from 52% to 20 to 24%. Apart from concordance rates, there is another term called heritability. And this is the estimate of the relative contribution of genetic factors to <coughs> any condition versus <coughs> non-genetic factors or, 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 or nurture, upbringing factors. <coughs> the best data for homosexuality comes from that last study in year 2000 in Australia, where 1,981 twins pairs were surveyed and male heritability was estimated at 26% meaning that genes contribute or genetic contribution was estimated at 26% and environmental contribution was 100 minus 26 74% again we need to be careful and read the fine print and the fine print says this our research did not provide statistically significant support for the importance of genetic factors for homosexuality. So it means that 26% could be higher, could be lower, could be anything. And I'm going to talk more about uh, 
statistical significance later. But all it means is that if it is not significant, as this fine print says, then this, these figures could all be due to chance. Could be due to chance. For female sexuality, however, we see that figure of 43%, and it says that it is statistically significant. But still, it is far away from 100%. And I guess a fair conclusion to reach is that environmental factors still outweighs any genetic factors, if any, in homosexuality. One of our doctors helped me to uh, help me find this very interesting data. It talks about the heritability of social behavior. Uh, phenotypes just means observables. And researchers have been trying to figure out the genetic influence on all kinds of behavior, such as female infidelity. Now, I don't know why they did not measure or, or study male infidelity. Maybe there's exits 100% or what. Um, empathy, aggression, leadership, and even political attitudes. So this study claims that 42% of your political attitude is due to your genes. Like whether you like PAP or do not like PAP is genetically determined. So I'll leave you and the PAP to figure out how to conclude from this study. But I think you're going to see more and more of these studies because I think the premise is this. If it can be proven that it is due to genetic factors, then I'm not responsible. And I think that's the way humankind is going. I'm not responsible. So there'll be more and more studies about all kinds of things about genetic factors. Now let's look at another research paper, this time comparing sexual orientation to medical conditions. You see here sexual orientation, 60%. This comes from an American study in the year 2000. <coughs> reported in the American Journal of Psychiatry. But again, note the qualifier to this 60%. The and I quote, the results of this analysis should be interpreted in the context of low statistical power and the use of a single item to assess the complex phenotype of sexual orientation. Now, please talk to Dr. Raj, who is here, to get a proper understanding of statistical significance. He and I have been ding-donging emails uh, and he has been trying to teach me over email about statistical significance. I should know it as an engineer, ex-engineer, but, but my memory genes are very poor and I cannot remember what I learned decades ago. The other caution which the study itself warns is that sexual orientation is now simply described as homosexual, heterosexual. Okay? Where, where sexual orientation is just simplified into this. But... But just for homosexuality alone, not counting transgender and, and whatever else, we can observe at least three levels. You can have a homosexual fantasy, or you can have a homosexual attraction, or you can be a full-blown homosexual in the sense of behavior, that is, having regular homosexual sex. So what it says here as sexual orientation is very, very simplified. Now, I'll show you these numbers to make this point. Do I have a personal responsibility if it is true and statistically significant that alcoholism is 50 to 60% genetically determined? Am I responsible for my own behavior? Or that type 2 diabetes, which both my parents have, 
is 26% genetically determined. Do I have a responsibility for my own health? Now, I may start with a, a, a disadvantage in hypertension or type 2 diabetes, which both my parents have, but I am still responsible for my health. And therefore, I still need to have a good diet and need to exercise. And that my body, according to God's word, is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And that self-control in terms of diet and exercise is one aspect of the fruit of that same Holy Spirit. So, am I born gay? Well, some, and I think many Christians uh, uh, writers, will simply say that there is no homosexuality gene or that it has not been found, and, and, and the answer is no. Well, many doctors, in fact, all the doctors I speak to tells me that that is too simplistic, too simplistic. That, that, that does appear to be a measure of genetic disposition. That does appear to be a measure of genetic predisposition in homosexuality. The heritability is not zero. It's not zero. But the conclusion we still must have is that the nurture factor is more than 50%. It's more than the nature factor if, in fact, homosexuality is genetically determined. So what then? So what then? What does the Bible have to say about this? So let's handle the second topic. What does the Bible say? We go all the way back to Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God created distinct genders. Secondly, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. So sexual intercourse is to be between a man and a woman and only within the divinely ordained institution of a committed marriage covenant. Everything else, homosexuality, adultery, bestiality, that is sex with animals, necrophilia, that is sex with dead bodies, pedophilia, that is sex with young children, pederasty, homosexuals, anal sex between an adult male and a young boy, all these are outside of God's perfect prescription for human sexuality. And to make it absolutely and graphically clear, Leviticus 18 verse 22 says, Do not lie with a man as one lies with a woman. That is detestable. It's repeated in Leviticus chapter 20 verse 13. It says, If a man lies with a man as, as one lies with a woman, both of them have done what is detestable. Okay, now you will say that Leviticus covers a lot of other areas that you should not do, like wearing clothes made from two different kinds of, of material or to stone someone who does not observe the Sabbath. I don't have time this morning to get into that, but please refer to the sermon uh, on the 24th of February that I preached here. Uh, 24 February 2013, where I talk about Old Testament laws and the Christian. You can download it on, on, uh, from the web. 
The teaching about homosexuality is consistent both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament where some of these things about wearing of clothes of different material is no longer uh, valid in the New Testament. But about human sexuality, it is repeated in the Old Testament, repeated in the New. It is not a civil or a ceremonial issue. It is a fundamental moral issue. So now we move on to the New Testament. Romans chapter 1 from verse 22. Now I want you to read this carefully. Okay, this is really important. Okay, read this carefully. We're not going to read this again. It's a long passage. Starting from verse 22. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their heart to have sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. But you know that some has interpreted this passage this way, that certain people are naturally heterosexual and other people are naturally homosexual using genes. So what is unnatural in Romans 1 that we read is for those who are not naturally homosexual to participate in homosexual sex. For those who are naturally homosexual, it is okay. It is natural. And so that is how Romans chapter 1 from verse 22 has been interpreted. Now, if you didn't get it the first time when you read it, go back and read it again. Can you interpret this Romans chapter 1 this way? I absolutely cannot see. I cannot see how this could be interpreted in a, a twisted way. And this is the lightning rod verse in the Bible. It attracts lightning. In Canada, someone was fined in the courts for putting this verse in a poster as hatred towards homosexuals. Let's move on to another passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, from verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You see that list of sins there? The Bible does not treat homosexuality as especially repugnant or especially sinful. But the Bible lists it together with other ways 
in which you and I fall short of the glory of God with other sins like idolatry and greed and drunkenness and swindling and slander or stealing paper clips from your office. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that homosexuality is an especially horrible sin. It does not. But LGBT activities, uh, activists provide a very different interpretation of the Bible. I've already mentioned the one on Romans 1 about what is natural. Another key argument of the LGBT lobby is that homosexuality does no harm, hurts no one. It is a private act between two consenting adults. And they further argue that they are, they are also against homosexual perversions like rape or a homosexual exploitation of young boys called pederasty. What they are advocating is a loving, monogamous, one-on-one, till death do us part, man-to-man, woman-to-woman, long-term relationship. And what's wrong with that? Now, we don't have, to, don't have the time to go into the many creative ways of reinterpreting the Bible uh, this way. And I'm going to put up Dr. Roland Chias uh, from, from Trinity Theological College, who was here, uh, I believe it was in April, where we had a half-a-day seminar. I'm going to put up his PowerPoint slides on the web, and you can download and look at the arguments and the counter-arguments against this kind of uh, interpretation of, of the Bible. But I'll just say this. Do no harm does not mean do no wrong. We do not consider private consensual acts like prostitution or drug-taking or sexual orgies or wife-swapping as right. It does no harm, but it is not right. And even though it is consensual, it is not right. And I, you know, I wish this debate about homosexuality would just, just go away. Just go away. And I wish I could say, hey guys, let's just live and let live. Let's just be loving and accepting. But I can't. I can't because the Word of God is so clear. I can't because there is a verse in the Bible in Isaiah 5.20 that tells us, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I can't because I cannot take the opposite interpretation of what it so clearly says in the Bible. So, am I born gay? Yes, there is some measure of genetic predisposition, but nurture is still greater than nature. And this should not be surprising because, because we all have a nature to sin. 11 times in Romans and 24 times all over Paul's epistles, he refers to sinful nature, your sinful nature. In some older translation, it just says flesh. We have a predisposition to sin, whether it is dishonesty or idolatry or homosexuality. What else? What does the Bible say then? Is homosexuality a sin? Yes, homosexuality is a sin. But let me say that to be tempted towards homosexuality is not a sin. Even having a predisposition genetically or hormonally or epigenetically or whatever, even having this predisposition towards homosexuality 
and being sexually attracted to a same-sex person is not sin. It is sin only when we succumb to the temptation, when we succumb to a lustful thought, when we succumb to a physical sexual act. That is sin. Now, I'm attracted to the top shelf of magazine racks. You know what I mean? Men, I'm attracted to it. I'm also prone to greed of two kinds. One is overeating, especially at buffets where you pay money so you've got to eat your worth. Another kind is to steal a few cents by tearing your kapak coupon 10 minutes later. Both are greed. Both are sin. Both are also temptations. Temptations that you do not need or do not have to succumb to. As long as I recognize them as temptations and I do not do it, it remains only a temptation and does not become sin. But if I do succumb to it, if I do tear 10 minutes off my fucking coupon later and then I confess it before the Lord, God in His grace forgives me and will even give me a solution. That if we confess our sins in 1 John 1 9, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And I am clean. Okay, that $10 little bit thing, I mean the 10-minute thing, doesn't bother me anymore. I am cleansed when I confess. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13 says, No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful, and He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Romans chapter 8 talks about the sinful nature. But it also tells us that we are, that as children of God, we are washed by the blood of Jesus, we are controlled by the Spirit, and not controlled by our sinful nature, not controlled by our flesh. And this refers not just to homosexual temptations of the flesh, but to all kinds of temptations, whether it is greed, idolatry, or dishonesty. So where do we go from, from here? What is the most excellent way? I'm referring to 1 Corinthians 13, the famous chapter about love, you remember? Which says, and now, Paul says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. Now you know that the Corinthians had all kinds of problems and controversies, including homosexuality. And we look at that long list in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 earlier that covers adulterers and thieves and drunkards and, dr uh, and swindlers, also homosexuals. What is this most excellent way? And you and I know that it is the way of love. A loving person speaks the truth in love. And the truth is, homosexuality is a sin. But a loving person is not self-righteous. He, he does not see the, the little dust or speck in someone's eye and cannot see the huge log that is in his own. A loving person is not sanctimonious in condemning specifically the sin of homosexuality, but is totally blind towards his own sin of pride or hypocrisy or dishonesty. A loving person does not underestimate the pain and the struggles 
of a homosexual going, th going through life in a homophobic world and especially in a judgmental church and Christians. A loving person may not understand it, but he does not underestimate the pain and the difficulties that the homosexual may go through. I read this book uh, some time ago, Walking with Gay Friends, A Journey of Informed Compassion. It's not informed consent, it's informed compassion. And it hit me quite hard because it talks about, and these are homosexuals or ex-homosexuals sharing the testimony. They say, all oh, you Christians, you offer me pet answers like, hey, get over it, uh, get over it. Uh, go find yourself a girlfriend and then go get married. And many of them have been transformed by the power and the love of God, but not all of them. Some of them are still struggling and they write the testimonies there. One of the testimonies in the book says, it's all I can do just to remain celibate. It's all I can do just to remain celibate. Obey God. Don't participate in homosexual sex. It's all they can do. And for some, that may be the only way out. If the tendency or the attraction is so strong and they want to obey God, say, celibate. And as a Christian, we believe that God's grace will be sufficient. And in fact, this very gift of celibacy, He will give. And celibacy is a gift. Well, it's a very well-known fact that many homosexuals, though not all, come from complicated backgrounds. In fact, last night I was just searching and there was one particular scientific paper that says 93% have been sexually abused as, as children in that particular study that they did. Okay? It's probably not so high. But if you read the literature, quite a high percentage have been sexually abused as children. And many of them are from dysfunctional homes where there is no father or, 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 or the father and mother are quarreling. Some have been raped or seduced. And many battle deep emotional and spiritual wounds. I think back to 1974. I had just turned 16. Just finished my O-levels, walking up and down Orchard Road looking for a job. I found a job along Orchard Road and I was working in a departmental store. The HR manager, in those, in those days they don't call them HR managers, they call them personnel managers. Huh? HR is a later term. 1974, this personnel manager was especially nice to me. One time he brought me out to lunch, one-on-one. -on -one. And then we went back to his office. When we went back to his office, he locked the door. And then he started asking me about my asthma condition, very concerned. And for some reason, asthma was linked to masturbation. And we talked about masturbation. And then he tried to kiss me. Actually, he succeeded. And I had to spit it out. Imagine my first mouth-to-mouth -mouth kiss was with a middle-aged man. And although I was really innocent at that time, I blurted out, are you a homosexual? And he was shocked. How do you know that? He said, how do you know that? And after that, he never disturbed me again. Although I continued working there for a little while more. And you know that many become homosexuals after they have been seduced or molested. And by God's grace, I did not become one. <laughs> but if I did, if I did, 
I want to have a church like PPH. I want to be a member of a church like PPH who wouldn't mock me or condemn me and say, yee! And who would love me and who would want to restore me, help me. You get that? If I did. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. Further, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, But in your hearts, set apart Christ Jesus as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. And so the principles are quite clear. Restore gently. Give a reason for hope. Give a reason for hope. Because God's grace is sufficient. We can count on His help. Handle issues with gentleness and respect. Just like how our Heavenly Father dealt with us even though we sin against Him time and again, again and again, in various and grievous ways even, the Lord was gentle, respectful, kind to us. You know, this topic once again came home to me in March of 2010, three years ago. I'm going to share something very personal with you and I'll even release some what I have now declassified uh, declassified personal emails. I saw some comments in my son's Facebook account in March of 2010 when he was in university in the US. He looked very gay to me. And I don't mean happy. So I got very concerned and I talked with Angeline about it, my wife. She got even more concerned and so bothered that she wrote him an email with the title, Freaked Out. She said this, Hi son, this is a real email, okay? Hi son, Puzzled about your comments about this guy in Facebook. What is happening? Call us. And then he replied, or call. And since my, my wife was the leader and took the lead, I just rolled upon her, her coattails and I wrote, uh, Yeah, share the joke lah. Don't get it. It's a very public statement on Facebook, uh, in Facebook comments. I had trouble sleeping over it lay. Just trying to soften it, you know. And, and then the reply was uh, from my son I was making fun of this guy and trying to embarrass him in public so I wrote down exactly what he said to me on the photo with all his friends from high school in fact I can't even remember what I wrote relax lah <laughs> and then I wrote back okay okay we are relaxed and I couldn't find a smiley for embarrassed face in those days huh? So what's the moral of the story? Uh, my son had a conclusion. He said, hmm, maybe being Facebook friends with your parents isn't a very good idea. <laughs> okay. No, no, no. Okay, maybe uh, I still want to be Facebook friends with my, my, friend, uh, my, my, my children. I think the moral is this. I was thinking at that time, you know, I think far ahead. Thinking, oh, Galatians 6.1, Galatians 6.1, restore him gently, 
restore him gently. 1 Peter 3, 15, 16. Gentleness, respect, clear conscience. He's still my son. He's still my son. If he had turned gay, he's still my son. My love for him, has it changed? Hasn't changed. I'm disappointed, yes, but hasn't changed. Now I was thinking, how to restore him? Huh? How to restore him? Should I go in Bible and verse straight away or wait a while or pray first or what? And I thought, I should restore him the same way I would restore him if he was caught shoplifting. Or if I caught him watching pornography. Or he lied to me. That way, that way. Don't treat homosexuality as a worse, worse, worse sin than lying or, or even shoplifting or dishonesty. Or if he got somebody pregnant out of wedlock, that's the way I want to restore him. I want to speak the truth in love, but gently, with respect, with my own conscience clear. I was thinking all these things. And then I saw that email, I said, ah, oh, relax lah. I'm relaxed. But that's the way I was thinking. Now, PPH does not have a specific ministry for LGBTs. We have some very good counsellors, some very good at ministering and helping people to be delivered from inner uh, uh, struggles and all that. I do not have specific training on this also. But we all have the love of God. We all have the grace of the Lord Jesus. And we all have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. In the year 2004, someone in this church asked me out to lunch, a guy. And he came out. You know the term, right? He came out. He came out of the closet and declared to me that he was a homosexual. At that time, I had only three and a half year experience as pastor. But I thought, now the memory is not so clear, I thought I managed not to appear shocked and I kept a straight face. And then we decided to pursue a program from this website called settingcaptivesfree.com where for 60 days, he will be guided through uh, Bible studies and given specific uh, assignments. And I was his accountability partner. So as he ding-dong a Bible study with questions and answers, I was copied. Meaning that I would pray for him. Meaning that I am copied on the private emails that he sent to this faraway anonymous person in the US with answers to point-blank blank questions like, have you had homosexual fantasies this week? Have you had lustful thoughts? Have you been masturbating? Etc, etc. Nearly four months later, he came back to me, and I'm glad to share this email with you. He said, for the first time, I can say that I am not an ex-gay but a Christian man in God's family. What a hopeful yet challenging new ID identity for me, and I love it. Thank you for all your patience, love, and prayer during the past 110 days. Now, I cannot remember why it became 110, although it was supposed to be 60. I think he skipped some weeks. And then he went on to live in another country. But we still keep in touch. And on 13th of April, the very day that we had the homosexuality seminar here, he sent me an email. I think it's God's way of encouraging me. Same day. He, um, he said, among other things, he wrote, 
I also pray that a sister in Christ will be found in the near future. I said, yes, yes. Surely I will pray with you that you will find a sister in Christ in the very near future. But then not all cases will turn out so well so soon and so straightforward. For many, it continues to be a long and painful struggle. But we can encourage them. We can encourage them because it is right. It is right in God's eyes. We can be the loving body of Christ, the non-homophobic, non-gracious, loving children of Almighty God to minister, to restore, to love. So am I born gay? I think there is a degree of predisposition. Many of the doctors I speak to say there is. But still, the nurture factor is above 50%. The nurture factor is more than the nature factor. And Lady Gaga is wrong to say, I'm born that way. And one of the doctors gave me this fantastic quote. And says, but we are reborn to another way. We are reborn to the way, the truth, and the life. So it is not, uh, yeah, yeah, you're not born that way and die that way. We are reborn to God's way. What does the Bible say? Unequivocally, homosexuality is sin. But it is one sin among many. The Bible does not say that it is the worst sin in the world or that it is the worst sin in God's eyes. To be tempted homosexually is not sin. But even if we sin, we can be forgiven. We can be restored. We can be cleansed by the blood of Jesus. What is the most excellent way? The way of love. To speak the truth in love. And when we sin, we need to repent. And I don't have the time nor the expertise to tell you the, the 10 steps to freedom from homosexuality. But what I want to say is walk that journey. Walk that journey of repentance, whether it's homosexuality or dishonesty or whatever. Walk that journey and walk it with someone. Walk it with a loving brother or sister in Christ. Walk it with someone here in PPH. No matter how long, how painful. You may be walking with someone that you're trying to restore and it falls and falls and falls again. Continue that journey with patience. But this means that we need to deal with ourselves first. I mean, anybody who's attended any counselling course will know that the first person to deal with is not the counsellee, it's the counsellor. And for those who are heterosexual, until we can handle our own self-righteousness and sometimes the disgust that we show on our face when somebody talks about homosexuality, and worse still when somebody confesses to you that they are homosexual. Until we can handle that, we are of no good to the person that we are trying to help. Until we have that compassion and that love in our hearts, there's no point learning the 10 steps to freedom from whatever sin. Because no one will come out to you. No one will come to you. And, 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 and sort of yesterday we were talking about, oh, you know, uh, would uh, uh, homosexual come to our church? I said, why do... Why would anybody come to a place where they, they are, where they are condemned? Why would they? So that's what we've got to handle ourselves first. Nobody will come out to us when we are unloving, 
judgmental, ungracious. And so the how-to that very often we hear, but we don't know, we are not trained for this and we cannot handle that, let's send them to another church. The how-to is not half as important as the love-to. You get it, right? So we don't have the experience. We don't have the training, but we have love. And let's pray that PPH will be that loving community. I watched uh, a sermon on YouTube uh, just last week, and the pastor was saying that after preaching a sermon like this, they had an altar call, which we will have. And at the altar call, a lady came up, and they were praying there, side by side with another lady. And as one of the how-tos, the, the, the altar minister suggested that this lady go for a women's breakthrough weekend, which in our case is the women's weekend. And then the lady who was sobbing said, but I'm a man. And so the pastor was saying, oh, should he or she go to the men's weekend or the women's weekend? <laughs> and you really need the wisdom of Solomon. I mean, here was a lady who was willing to come out, who wanted to be helped, but naturally she was a man. So what does a pastor do? After thinking it over and after praying, he said, you go to the women's weekend. You go to the women's weekend. Why? God did not say, go get yourself right. You change first and then you come to me. Right? Because if it was on this basis, none of us would be able, be able to approach God. God says, I come down to your level. I come to where you are. I meet you at your point of need. You give your life to me and I will give you my Holy Spirit and I will journey with you and I have the power to change you. So I thought that was a very wise decision. Solomonic decision. So where are you now? Let me invite the musicians to come up. Wherever we are, God has the power to change us. May have been molested in the past. Forgive this middle-aged man, Mr. Ng. My first mouth-to-mouth kiss. Forgive him. If you have homosexual tendencies, fantasies or attractions, or if you are a practicing homosexual, God wants to meet you where you are. God is not going to say, oh, you're condemned. God says, that's the point I want to reach out to you. And God says, no temptation has overcome you that is not common to men. For you, it is homosexuality. For this guy, it is dishonesty. Again and again and again, dishonesty. And still, God reaches out to us. And God is faithful. He wants to provide a way out for us. that way, maybe a friend here in PPH. And Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So come to God. Come to God. Where are you now? Do you have 
homosexual friends or relatives. Not all of them are in your face activists and carry placards and and wants the uh, you know wants to have same sex marriage and change the law and 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 be activists. Most of them, I would say, are just nice people trying to get on in life in a world that is homophobic. Just asking for acceptance and love. So you accept them, but you also accept God's word. God's word says that it is a sin, and then we need to speak the truth in God's love. It's a sin, yes, but like many other sins, we need to repent, and we need to help others repent. So where are you now? Have you come to terms with your own hypocrisy? So my sins are okay. My sins are small. But the homosexual sin is big, is disgusting, is terrible, and we may have uttered unkind words too. We may have showed an unkind face, a disgusted face. We may have exhibited a judgmental attitude. We need to repent. We need to turn away from looking at this speck of homosexuality sin in the other person's eye and neglect a huge log. That is in our own eye. We need to turn towards the way of love, and the way of love is to have a clear conscience. One Peter three. The way of love is to restore with gentleness. The way of love is to give a reason for the hope. I know you are struggling, but there is hope. My God is willing to come alongside. My God comes to our level and works with us. My God gave us the Holy Spirit to live in us and to transform us, and to do it with gentleness and respect. Why don't we stand up and acknowledge that God's grace is sufficient for us? Yes. 
categories of people. Number one, for those of us who might have been hypocritical in the way we treat homosexuality as uh, the most terrible sin in the world, where we have this lock in our own eye, but we see the speck in our brother's eye. Let's come before the Lord seek His forgiveness, seek His restoration so that the Lord can do a work in our lives and so that we can help others. Number two, I want to open up the altar for those of us who might have friends who are struggling in this area or relatives, even siblings. And let's be praying. Let's start with prayer. Let's be praying for them. And number three, if you do have homosexual tendencies or attractions and let's pray together let's walk that journey together with grace, with love with gentleness, with respect so the altar is open I'm going to say a closing prayer and if you need prayer we'll just come to the front and pray together Lord we give you thanks that indeed your grace is sufficient that we don't get right and then come to you but that you first loved us and come to us so forgive us Lord for judgmental attitudes for hypocrisy for non-graciousness and enable us to walk as a child of God exhibiting the same grace and love that you've shown to us. I pray, Lord, that the power of your grace, the power of your love, will transform us, will enable us to practice Galatians 6, to practice 1 Peter 3, to be the kind, loving, helpful friend to someone. So we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.